friend before the service asked, Rob, can, when can we have a happy song? Uh, not this week. Um, come back next week, calm and quieted soul. This week, um, darkness is our only companion. I miss being with you guys last week. Um, I was on a father-son trip with my youngest, uh, visiting a friend down in Brazil, Bela Horizonte. We had a chance to worship with God's people down there and um, go to community group, go to a worship service. I know you had communion, celebrated the Lord's Supper here. We celebrated it there. And it's just a good reminder that these truths and these scriptures, even this very hour, they are forming God's people all around the world, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And this psalm that we're looking at, thousands of years old. So not only all around the world today, but throughout all of history, these words have given direction, life, and truth. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word this morning. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would empty us of all that prevents from hearing what you want us to hear this morning. We pray that you would empty us from our preconceptions, our preoccupations, and our prejudices. Father, empty us that we might be filled with your spirit and your word. Empty us that we might be filled for your mission and your ministry. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, we are in week three of our psalm series, and um, I think you guys understand this, but there's different kinds of psalms. Just like today, there's different kinds of songs. Kids, teenagers, you know there's different kinds of songs. You have patriotic songs and poems. You have love songs. You have breakup songs. You have songs of angst, right? Back in my day, we called it grunge, all right? So it was like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. You have all kinds of different kinds of songs. God's songbook, the Psalms, is the same way. You have psalms of praise. You have psalms of thanksgiving. You have royal psalms, songs about a king. Um, you have wisdom psalms. That's where we started the series, right? We started with a wisdom psalm, Psalm 1. How do we live? Do we go the path of flourishing or the path of perishing? That's a wisdom song. And then you have songs of lament, songs of sorrow. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to those different categories and all the 150 psalms, which category do you think has the most psalms? Lament. It's not songs of praise or songs of thanksgiving. In the 150 psalms of God's songbook, uh, the one that has the most, the category that has the most, are songs of sorrow and sadness. And I think there's something instructive there for us. Give the news cycle of any given week and you see there is a brokenness in the world. Look at some of our relationships. Those closest to us and those around us, there's not only just a brokenness in the world, there's a brokenness in here. There's a darkness in here. And what these songs of lament do is they speak to them. They give us the geography and the vocabulary of our souls in the midst of suffering. So Psalm 88, it's a song of lament. Song 88, the writer says, by the time he gets to the end, 
Darkness is my only companion. Uh, the ESV wants to, to reflect the reality that literally the, the last word in Hebrew is darkness, right? So it says, my companions have become darkness. All right, so the song literally and figuratively ends in darkness. So this morning, we're going to look at some questions um, to help us deal with the chaos and confusion that comes from darkness. Now, like Patrick said last week, maybe you're not in a season of darkness and suffering, and praise God, that's wonderful. Let me suggest to you that the best way, though, to prepare for when life starts to unravel whether it unravels slowly or quickly, the best time to prepare for that is not when the unraveling's going on. The best time to prepare for that is before. To start thinking about what will I do when the darkness comes? And for some of us, really for all of us, there's going to be a time when someone we love and care about goes through darkness, goes through suffering. How are we going to love them? This psalm helps us answer some of those questions. So Psalm 88, questions that deal with darkness. The lyrics of these songs, uh, this song helps us answer these three questions. Um, where do I go in the darkness? What does the darkness feel like? And is there any hope for light in the darkness? So where do I go? What does it feel like? Is there any hope for light in the darkness? Let's start with where do I go, and let's start with the author, all right? Uh, most psalms, if you're going through it, you see they come with these editorial descriptions of maybe when it happened, what happened, and who wrote it. This is uh, no different. In fact, it's one of the longest uh, descriptions. And we see that this particular work was written by Heman the Ezraite, all right? Now, there's a Heman uh, written about in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles. He's noted for his wisdom. Uh, it might be that same man. We can't say 100%, but here's what's helpful for us to see here. Um, there's a name associated with this song. This is not a sorrowful, anonymous rant. If anything, we know in this day and age, it's real easy to write some strong words, but leave them anonymous. Think about all the reviews or commentary or posts you see. Not the case here. We know that this man was willing to sign his name. This is a person, this is his pain, and he's willing to put his name on it. Heman the Ezraite. So where does he go? Where does he go in the darkness? That's our first question. If the last line is the most um, dreadful and sorrowful, the first line is really the most helpful. It's the more, most hopeful. Right? He, he says he goes to the God of my salvation, the God of his salvation. He cries out to the Lord, and that, that word Lord there, that's Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. That's where he goes in the midst of the darkness. Friends, the following verses are going to help us see that all hell has broken loose in his life. What he's chosen to do is go to his God in the midst of the chaos and confusion. That's where he goes, and, and what does it say that he does? It says he cries out to him. I cry out day and night before you, all right? And that before you, those aren't throwaway words. Um, he's not just crying out, he's crying out before his God. He's going to his God. And friends, I, I think we like to think that's what we do when our darkness comes. Or that's what we will do when our darkness comes. 
But can I suggest there's often other things that we do when the darkness comes? Like often, um, instead of crying out before God, I, I cry out to others. And please hear me, there's nothing wrong about sharing and going to our brothers and sisters with our darkness. We should. But sometimes I wonder why I'm prone to talk for minutes and hours to my spouse or to my friend about this suffering and darkness. But maybe only 30 seconds to God, maybe only a couple minutes to God crying out to him in the midst of my darkness. Maybe when our darkness comes, we don't go to God. We just talk to people about it. Or maybe we run to other places. Maybe we go to other things instead of crying out to God. Maybe um, I would imagine some of us in D.C., we just try to repress it. Like the darkness is there. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's in our children's life. Maybe it's physically inside of our bodies. We just try to repress it. You know what D.C. people are really great at? Getting busy. Like just making ourselves busy with other things and distracting ourselves from the darkness and from the mess. Maybe that's what we do when we face darkness. We don't go to God, we just go get busy. Or maybe we escape the fantasy worlds on our screen. Maybe we just go into screens. It could be objectifying and lusting over uh, other humans. It could be just mindlessly scrolling. Maybe when the darkness comes and we don't know what to do, we just go to our screens. Um, So it's not if you will go somewhere when the darkness comes or if you will do something when the darkness comes. It's where will you go when the darkness comes and what you will do when the darkness comes. You understand that? And if I could um, say it this way, You will go to your God when the darkness comes. It's just a matter of it's Yahweh or some inferior God that cannot bear up under the weight. Heman the Ezraite goes to his God, even though all hell is breaking loose. He goes to his God and he cries out. He cries out to God. And please hear me. Crying out to God is not a get out of suffering free card. All right. Near as I can tell, those don't exist. I checked. All right. It's not, you cry out to God and it doesn't mean the suffering is going to go away soon or ever in this life, right? That's what this psalm teaches us. In this life, the suffering might not go away, but still it says, verse nine, every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Do you see that? I spread out my hands like I got nothing else. What else can I do? Verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning, my prayer comes. He does that because sometimes that's all we can do. We can't fix it. We can't heal it. We can't help it. All we can do is cry out to God. That's what he does. He asks God, would you hear my cry? That's where Heman is going, crying out. But when it comes down to it, did you notice that the vast majority of this song is really about how he feels? So we've seen where he goes, but now let's see, how does the darkness feel? Um, in these 18 verses, as descriptive as the writer is about everything, did you notice that there's actually no details about the circumstances that lead up to all this? Right? Think about other Psalms like, oh, uh, that's when David was hiding in the cave, or that's when that went down with David and Bathsheba. Plenty of Psalms and songs in the Bible have descriptions of what was going down. This one doesn't. We don't know what was going on in his life, and I think that's helpful. 
right? Because if this was just about fleeing from an evil king, you'd be like, all right, well, no king's been chasing me recently, so we can just go on to Psalm 89 now. We don't know the circumstances, but we know it's darkness and we know it's suffering, and he's real clear about how it feels. He describes it in three ways. Um, here's how it feels for him. He says, uh, one way he says is, well, I might as well be dead. It feels like I might as well be dead. Another way it feels is like time is running out. And the final way it feels is my friends and my God have abandoned me. It feels like I might as well be dead. It feels like time is running out. And it feels like my God and my friends, they've all abandoned me. All right, verses 3 through 7, we see words like Sheol and the pit and the grave and the regions of the dark and deep. He's, he's talking about this. He would say, my demise feels so certain and so close. I think I might just start hanging out in the graveyard to save us all a bunch of time. Right? Because that's where this is going. Feels like I might as well be dead. It feels like time is running out. Verses 10 through 12. There's some questions in here. I want to read them for us. And I want to ask you good Christians. All right. Uh, good New Testament Christians, don't read in the resurrection here, all right? Because he doesn't have that in mind. When you hear these questions, when he says, do you, do you work wonders for the dead? All right, we're on the other side of the cross. We're like, yeah, he does, all right? That's not what he's saying. He's assuming, no, you don't work wonders for the dead. They're meant to be seen by those who are alive so that they may praise and glorify him. He's saying, God, yeah, um, dead people don't see your wonder." Um, do the departed rise up to praise you? Again, don't take the resurrection. He's simply reflecting on the reality most of us have experienced. I have seen more dead people than I, would, I have enjoyed. Anyway, I've seen a lot of dead people. None of them got up to praise God. All the dead people I saw stayed dead. And that's what he is saying right there. It's like, hey, that's what dead people do. They don't rise up to praise you. They, um, they don't see your wonders. Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? The answer to all these questions is no. And since the answer to all those questions is no, he's saying, God, you might want to do something. God, you might want to show up. Feels like time is running out. And the author feels abandoned by friends and by God. He feels like he might as well be dead. He feels like time is running out. He feels abandoned by his friends. My companions shun me. You have made me a horror to them. You cast my soul away. You hide your face from me, God. Um, my friend is darkness. My companions are darkness. That's how the darkness feels, friends. And again, we don't know what led him to feel this way exactly. But if we just look at our lives... I think we can understand or see some of the things that lead us to feel this way. Might as well be dead. Um, maybe you've dealt with an addiction in such a way and it has brought you so low into such a darkness and it's ruined your life or the lives of those around you. In the midst of that addiction, you might as well say, you, you feel like saying, I don't see what the point in being alive is. That's the kind of darkness. Time's running out. Maybe... Um, Maybe you've struggled with miscarriages and you know in the midst of one while they're doing some of those blood tests and you're just praying for the right kind of numbers and you just pray, God, it feels like time's running out. I need you to show up if this child is going to live. 
That's the kind of darkness. That's how the darkness feels like time is running out. Friends abandoning you. Maybe you've experienced mental health struggles, anxiety, depression. Maybe a loved one, um, schizophrenia or bipolar. And you know full well that when your friends don't understand that and they don't know what to say or do or what you're going to say or do, all of a sudden they start to disappear and it feels like God has gone with them. Some of us know full well this darkness. We know how it feels. We've seen where to go and, and we know how it feels. And so what are we to do with Psalm 88? Is there hope for light in this darkness? Yes. Yes, there is. Uh, I'm going to go through several rays of light that come through to us through this psalm. Ray number one. Ray number one of light is the fact that Psalm 88 is actually in the Bible. All right, the fact that it, it points to this great reality that God is a God of grace. Psalm 88 puts on display for the whole world to see God's grace. And here's why I say that. Um, because for all intents and purposes, what Heman's doing right here is he's cross-examining God. With zero reverence, with zero deference, he is cross-examining uh, God and he's saying, God, hey, um, you want me to praise you? You want me to uh, see your wonders? That's the whole point of this thing? That's how it's supposed to work? Well, well, you should show up. He says, from my youth. Seems like for my whole life, God, you haven't been there. Where are you? Heman says, to God, Seems like darkness might be a better friend than you are. Zero reverence. Um, and yet here it is, included in God's songbook. God did not censor it. God did not leave it out. God didn't say, well, that's a little too much. That's a little too raw. Not willing to go there. God leaves it in because... God understands how desperate men and women talk. God chooses to be identified with people that talk this way. God is the God of Heman's salvation. Not because Heman gets it right. Not because Heman says it with the right tone. Not because he's got his theology dialed in perfectly. Not because he wakes up and puts a happy face on. He's the God of human salvation because he's a God of grace. And he loves human and us in spite of when we get it wrong and when we say it wrong. So one ray of light is the fact that God's chosen to, to include this in his songbook. It shows that he is a God of grace. Another ray of light is that Psalm 88 helps us dispel this Christian myth. And especially for middle and upper class Americans, this is a Christian myth that's all over the place. And that is, if I love God enough, and if God loves me enough, and if I do this the right way, then I won't suffer. All right, we don't say that out loud. It's not a part of our official theology, but it's really a part of our functional theology. And when something uh, starts moving us against that or something bumps up against that, we really start to bristle. 
God, I thought you loved me. Why am I suffering? God, I was doing this right. Why am I suffering? I had a good quiet time this week. Why am I suffering? Psalm 88 dispels that notion. Because um, if we just take a second and to think about the one that did do it right, if we take a second to think about the one who was most beloved by the Father, his only begotten Son, You know, Psalm 88 could have been prayed by Jesus. Right? I feel like I might as well be dead. What does Jesus say to, to Peter and James and John at the end of Mark's gospel? He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus says, I feel like I, feel like I might as well be dead. I feel like time is running out. Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. If you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Father, I see what's around the corner. Seems like time's running out. If you're willing, it'd be great if this cup could pass from me. Psalm 88 could be prayed by Jesus. My friends and my God have abandoned me. Darkness is my only companion on the cross. He's there because one friend betrayed him. The others are nowhere to be found. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 88 could be prayed by our Savior. And that's what makes Christianity unique. Please see that if you're investigating this morning Christianity, Christianity presents to you a God and a Savior who has entered into our darkness. Right? Traveled around Rio last week. If you've ever been there, you know on top of a mountain in Rio, Christ the Redeemer, massive concrete statue of Jesus, 96 feet tall, 26 feet wide, arms outstretched, made of concrete and soapstone. Um... Christian, you need to see that Christ does not remain elevated above our suffering, only wanting our praise. He enters into our suffering, experiences the gut-riching pain of our suffering. That's our Savior. A ray of light is that our Savior knows our darkness. Our Savior enters in to our darkness. A final ray of light. Our final ray of light is that Christ doesn't just enter into our darkness, but he defeats our darkness. In defeating death, in defeating sin, he overcomes the darkness. That's why we have grace. Because he takes on our brokenness and our rebellion, and he gives us his life. His holiness. That's why we have grace. Um, sometimes uh, this overcoming our darkness happens in this life. I know that there are some of us who are walking in freedom from addiction now because his light has overcome the darkness. I know there are some of us who have been through unimaginable grief and yet still had peace because his light has overcome the darkness. You need to know today that his light can overcome any darkness in your life. Cry out to him. And at the same time, as your pastor, I can't promise you something that the scripture doesn't. There are times when he chooses that the darkness remains until the end. We're singing a song right after this, Heal Us, Emmanuel, by William Cowper. He struggled with depression. He became friends with John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, but he struggled his entire life with depression 
and mental health in a real and significant way. And there were seasons where he saw light and there were seasons where he was back in the darkness. And really at the end of his life, it ended in darkness. But again and again, he cried out, heal me, Emmanuel. So yes, in this life, your life might end in darkness. But again, he's defeated death and he's given us life ever after. Frederick Buechner says this, that in the resurrection, the worst thing is never the last thing. In the resurrection, the worst thing is never the last thing. Because darkness might be the final word of this psalm, but it's not the final word of the scriptures. Darkness might be the final word of this psalm, but the scriptures teach us that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has the final word. He is the final word. Hear what it says about our Savior. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, in your darkness, turn to God and cry out to God. In the darkness of your loved ones, you know how Christ entered into our darkness? Enter into their darkness and just be there with them. If you don't know what to say while you're in their darkness, just say that. I don't know what to say, but I'm here. And cry out to God for them and with them. Jesus has the last word. He is the light. The darkness will not last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it gives gives words to our pain and our grief. It helps us dispel myths that are so easy to believe. We see that you are a God of grace. And so I pray this morning for those who are in the midst of the darkness that they would see your light. I cry out for my friends in the darkness. Father, I cry out for those who have loved ones in the darkness. Sustain us and hold us even when we can't understand or see why. Even when we falter and fail, we rejoice that you are faithful. We trust in your faithfulness and not in ours. Amen.